this will be the second part of uh, what we began last week. Chapter 7, let's just read a few verses. For this Melchizedek, verse 1, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Uh, verse 5, now consider, now consider how great this man was unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily, they, are of the son, they that are of the sons of Levi who received the office of the priesthood have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out from the loins of Abraham. Verse 7. And without all contradiction, the less, meaning Abraham, is blessed of the better, or the greater, meaning Melchizedek. Uh, in verse 15. And it is yet far more evident, for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest, and that is referring to Christ. Now, last week we looked at Melchizedek being a king of righteousness, king of peace, and we saw him meet Abraham, and it says that he blessed him. He blessed Abraham, and he received tithes from Abraham, and he also refreshed Abraham. And one of the things that you see from Genesis 14 and in Hebrews 5 and Hebrews 7 is you get bits and pieces here uh, enough to kind of give you an idea or to paint a picture of the character of this man, Melchizedek. Now, I want to ask you a question because most of you here were in Leviticus class when it was taught last uh, semester. In the Old Testament, how did a person become a priest? You don't have to answer. <laughs> you, that's right. First of all, they had to be born into the tribe of Levi. In order to serve as a priest, uh, they had to be a Levite if they were of any other tribe that their actual physical birth excluded them from being of the Levitical priesthood. They could not enter into that. They could not become a priest that would go to the altar and uh, offer sacrifices and so forth. And then you have something else in Leviticus 21 where they had certain requirements that they had to meet. And this is also in the earlier chapters, like chapter 8 and 9, where you see the anointing with oil. There were certain anointings that they had to go through. There were certain washings with water that they had to go through. Uh, they had to dress a certain way. All of that were requirements for the Levitical priesthood and there were, from chapter 21, which we'll look at in a little bit, there were certain things that disqualified them from being uh, a priest, even though they were born as a Levite. Now, all Levites were not priests. Some of them were uh, servants that helped a priest. But you couldn't be a priest if certain things uh, physically were wrong with you. We'll look at that in, in a little bit, as I said. So those two things primarily were in the Old Testament 
and you had to, to qualify in one instance, and in the other instance, you had to be born physically into the tribe of Levi to be a priest. Now, in verse 14 here, it says that Jesus was of the tribe of Judah, and I'm going to show you this on the board in a little bit, where it is evident that our, our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe, of which tribe, remember that, that phrase, Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. So he was of the tribe of, of, of Judah, and it says that he was after the order of Melchizedek. Verse 11, if therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? So we see that Jesus uh, is uh, uh, from the, the tribe of Judah, and he's of the line, or the sim he's of the similitude of uh, Melchizedek. Now, there is a priesthood that moves on a higher plane than that of the Levitical priesthood. Now, I want to show you something here, if I can <laughs> remember it. Okay, you have um, Abraham. Oh, let's go back to Noah. You have Noah. Now, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, A-P, three sons. Now, this is the godly line, the line of Shem. You have Abraham, forgive my spelling, I'm going to hurry, Isaac, and then you have Jacob. Jacob became who? Israel. Now, out from Jacob or Israel, you had the 12 tribes. Now, if you continue on, and we're not going to mention all the tribes. I'm only going to deal with two. One was Judah. Okay, you see the line here. And then, of course, uh, Jesus Christ comes from this line. Now, another uh, one of the sons we'll put over here was Levi. From Levi, you have... Can you all see that? From, from Levi, you have uh, the priesthood of Moses, Aaron, uh, Phineas, not, not uh, Hophni and Phineas, the other Phineas, the godly one. Just a few that you, you might know. Zadok, Ezra, all of those priests came from Levi, or the Levitical area. Now, over here, you have Japheth. Japheth, of course, was a, um, one of the three sons of Noah. And he had seven sons. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. He had seven sons. From these seven sons, all the Gentile nations, or most of the Gentile nations... When the Bible refers to the heathen, the non-Israelite, the foreigner, they all come from this line here, Japheth, from his seven sons. Now, Ham, Ham had a son. He had several sons. But his one son was Cana. Out from Cana, 
you have different descendants. But one of them, and this is very interesting, were the descendants that came down were the Jebusites. Now, the Jebusites inhabited what city? You Bible scholars? Jerusalem. Okay. So you had Ham, his descendant, one, one of them was Cana, who brought forth the, the Jebusites. And the Jebusites inhabited Jerusalem. Now, you remember when Joshua, he goes into the land, there were these five kings that made a league. One was um, Adonizadek, I think it was. He was the ringleader of these kings that were in the land. He, he, he forms a league of the five kings that Joshua defeats. Remember, they go into the cave, and they're brought forth out of the cave and, and killed. Adonizadek was an Amorite king, okay? He was over the Jebusites. They occupied Jerusalem. And it wasn't until the time of David, David, his army goes into Jerusalem and thrusts the Jebusites out. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. Melchizedek was king of where? King of Salem. Salem was the old name for Jerusalem. And if you go into the writings of Josephus, he mentions that multiple times, Salem, and he says it's Jerusalem. He's the historian, if you, if you don't know who he is, uh, from Israel. So here you have Melchizedek, king of Salem, or king of Jerusalem at that time, and I believe he was a Jebusite. Kind of odd, isn't it? This great man that blessed Abraham was over here. He wasn't down here in this line. He came from this area over here. Now, my question is this. Who told him how to be a priest? Or how did he learn to be a priest? He was a Jebusite. Let's look at one verse here. And I just wanted to show you this related to this word Jerusalem here, just backing up for one second. I should have looked at this before we got this far, but that's okay. Psalm 76, you don't have to turn there. It says in the King James, In Salem also is his tabernacle, and in his dwelling place in Zion. And his dwelling place in Zion. Salem is what it's, it's um, interpreted here in the King James, but a lot of other interpre interpretations, for example, the New Living Translation says, Jerusalem is where he lives and Mount Zion is his home. But he was king of Salem or king of Jerusalem, being a Jebusite. And my question is, how did he become a priest? See, he wasn't born into the Levitical order or he wasn't of the tribe of Levi, but yet he was this priest. Look in Hebrews 7. He's the priest of the Most High God. Now, before we read this verse, remember this, that Abraham came from where? Ur the Chaldees. 
His father was Terah. Yeah, his father was Terah. And it says that, that uh, he, his father, him, he was an idolater. And they went to Haran, and that's where his father dies. And God calls Abraham out of Haran to go into a land, and he didn't know where he was going. But the point being this, that even though Abraham's father was an idolater, God saw something in his heart that he could touch, and he knew that, that in this man Abraham, had, he had this potential for serving God, walking with God, and living this godly life. And I believe also that was the case with Melchizedek. Being where he was didn't matter. He had this heart that wanted to do right, and he moved with that, and God touched him and, and worked in his life, and he becomes the king of righteousness. Now, in Hebrews 7, verse 13, For he of whom these things are spoken, he's talking about Melchizedek, pertaineth to another tribe, to which no man gave attendance at the altar. So it says here, pertaineth to another tribe. And what I believe that that is, is hinting toward is that that is after, or the person who is after the Spirit, or walking with the Spirit of God. So you have the Levitical order down here, and that deals, and we'll look at that in a few minutes, with the natural it's dealing with the physical. And then you have another priesthood where you see Melchizedek and you see Jesus and, of course, others that are moving in a totally different way. They're moving in the spirit. Now, that's not to say that a Levitical priest born into that system that's down here in this at this level could not move after the Spirit and ascend to another place, even though they were a Levitical priest. Still, there, there are two priesthoods, that which is after the natural and that which is after the Spirit. Now, in 1 Peter, so Melchizedek, uh, he receives this priesthood of the Spirit, of the Spirit, so he was after the spirit, not after the order of Levi. Now in 1 Peter, one verse, chapter 2, verse 5. See, see, those that are of the spirit, I believe, are priests. That's, that's what I'm seeing in this. So that it's not according to birth. See, in the natural, they had to be born into the tribe of Levi. It's not according to birth, being just born again. But those that are after the Spirit, walking in that way, walking, their life is of the Spirit. See, 
something different. Now look at verse 5. Ye also as lively stones, or living stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. To offer, offer up sacrifices of the Spirit. Now you know what sacrifices of the Spirit are, right? Let me read this from the Amplified. Come, and as living stones be yourselves built into a spiritual house for a holy, dedicated, consecrated priesthood to offer up those spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable and well-pleasing to God through Christ Jesus. So that the believer who is walking after the ways of the Spirit of God is able to offer certain things up as spiritual sacrifices unto God. So that if you are obedient to the Spirit of God in your life, in whatever way that is, you begin to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Now, just a few for me would be whenever I teach. I don't necessarily teach because I want to teach. Uh, Pastor Jim, do you preach because you want to preach? It becomes an offering unto God. I sit down and I study. I mean, there's a lot of other things I could be doing, believe me. But the Lord has me do that. And for me in my life, that becomes an offering unto God. I'm offering up a spiritual sacrifice unto God. And see, all of you will offer up spiritual sacrifices also, depending on what's going on in your life, how the Lord's dealing with you, um, and, and your obedience to that as you go ahead and step forth to do uh, what the Lord is showing you in obedience, that you begin to offer up a spiritual sacrifice. Now, there is a difference between the law and a spiritual sacrifice. You can come to church based upon the law, or you can come to church based upon the Spirit. And, and how a person approaches even that, anything, it doesn't matter what it is as far as your Christian walk, how you're approaching that will be either moving under the law of it, or moving in the spirit in that, so that that thing now becomes something that is well-pleasing unto God. It's a sacrifice. So you always have those two things moving. You had them in the Old Testament. You have them in the New Testament. You have them today, where you have this law, or you have this natural thing moving. And then you have something that's moving above that. Now, whenever you were born again, there was a change in your life. Now, have you ever tried to, to explain that to someone that wasn't a Christian? Have you ever witnessed? Of course you have. You witness to them and you tell them about Christ. You tell them how the Lord can change you. And, and there they are. They're looking at you and they're on the outside. They're not understanding what you're really talking about. 
I mean, they may understand the words to some degree, but they're not understanding because they haven't come to Christ, they haven't passed through that line, if you, if you will, of salvation, and, and entered in. Now, once you enter in and you become a Christian, then you start to see things. You say, well, I, well, this is really something. Those that testified before of Christ, now I understand what they were saying. Now, it's the same basic principle Whenever you have a person who is operating under the law, they're looking at this other area, and, and they're not really understanding what's there, what's going on, uh, the functioning of it. They're, they're, they're just, I mean, they'll catch little bits of things here and there, but they're not really understanding it because they're not moving in that. But once a person moves out from under that, the law, and starts to move in this other area of the spirit, then they say, oh, now I see. I'm starting to understand a little bit now. And now I can offer up a spiritual sacrifice unto God. Not that they were thinking that, but they're, they're doing that. You know, which is pleasing, well-pleasing. Uh, it's holy and well-pleasing unto him. So you have these two things uh, going on. Now, in Hebrews, back in Hebrews chapter 7, it says that the Levitical priesthood had weaknesses. Look at verse 8. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he liveth. Um, let me read that from another translation. In the one case, the tenth is collected by men who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. So he's comparing here one aspect that is death to another aspect that is life or living. Once again, this is moving here in this, in this chapter. Verse 11, he says that perfection, this is another weakness of, of the Levitical priesthood, perfection could not come from the Levitical order. If therefore perfection were, were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that, that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? So perfection could not come of the Levitical priesthood. The word perfection, perfection means completeness or a, a completing... It's probably a better way of saying a completing of what God had in mind through this. Now, just because, let me go back here. Just because a priest was a Levite doesn't mean that they had to function only under the law. They could be after the spirit. Ezra was after the spirit, even though he was a Levitical priesthood. So them being born in this, did not limit them from learning uh, and, and moving in God for their life. I want to read this from another translation, but let's just turn to Hebrews 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually, Make the comers thereunto perfect. <clears throat> and I want to read uh, 
Hebrews 7.11 from the Amplified. Now, if perfection, a perfect fellowship between God and the worshiper, had been attainable by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people were given the law, why was it further necessary that there should arise another and different kind of priest, one after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one appointed after the order and rank of Aaron? So, true enlightenment comes by the Spirit, not by the law. That's how I see that. And that's what I was saying before. True understanding, true enlightenment, truth in moving, all comes after or by the Spirit of God. Not by the Levitical law or any other law. So that there is a, a, a difference, there is a different way of moving, there's a different way of functioning, all that different over here than with the law. Now remember, the law was our schoolmaster. It was to point us to that. But so many uh, in the Old Testament did not get it. Just like today, many don't get it. So anything, as far as Christianity, can become law. You know, it depends on, you know, how we are relating to, to that, how we are relating to God, actually. And out from that, that thing will flow one way or another. And, and, and the Lord is on one side trying to work with us to bring us into another area, another way of moving, another uh, way of, of seeing things, another way of having things brought into our heart and life and, and that being brought out through. He's always trying to bring us into that particular place and keeping us there. But, you know, there are those who, who vacillate. They will, they will be okay for a while and then they will start to move under the law. It's something that, you know, it just... It just goes on in their spirit. And so we have God who, by his spirit, is always wanting to get us to move, you know, with him. The best I can explain it. Now, turn to Leviticus 21. Every regulation, when you go through Leviticus, as we did, Every regulation that pertains to the priest had to deal or had to do with the physical body. It's really, you know, I didn't really, I don't know if I brought that out or not. But that's there if you start to look at it. It's dealing with this, the natural thing, the, you know, the body. They had to do this, had to wash, they had to, you know, be clothed a certain way, they had to anoint with oil. All that was a, a physical thing. Now, the descendants of Aaron all, as I said before, were under that and had to, to be brought into that uh, as, as Levites. You had the, the oil, the water, etc. 
Now, in Leviticus, certain things qualified them and, uh, to become priests, and other things disqualified them. And let's just read a few verses here. And I thought this was very interesting. Uh, let me see here. Verse 18. Okay. For whatsoever man he be that hath a blemish. Now he's talking about uh, the, the Levites who, who were going to possibly be priests. For whatsoever man he be that hath a blemish, uh, he shall not approach. A blind man, he's talking about a blind man cannot approach unto God, uh, a lame in the priesthood, uh, or a lame, or if he hath a flat nose, or anything su- superfluous, or any, and I was talking about any deformity, or a man that is broken-footed or broken-handed, uh, or crook-back, or a dwarf, or that, ha- that hath a blemish in his eye, or be scurvied, or scabbed, or hath his stones broken. Now let me see. Let me get the uh, amplified here. So he mentions some of these things here, and he's talking about uh, these physical deformities, if you will. Any of those disqualified the Levite, any Levites for becoming priests. Now, as I said before, you have this natural priesthood, and then you have this spiritual priesthood of which you see Melchizedek and others, and you see Jesus. Now, going back and reading this, and taking this and applying this to the spiritual priesthood, for whatsoever man he be that hath a blemish, he shall not approach a blind man, or if if the person is blind spiritually, they cannot be a priest. Uh, if they are lame, spiritually lame, they can't be a priest. If they have a flat nose, and that's talking about a deformed nose, they can't be a priest. They're not going to have the right smell of incense. Let me see here. Looking at the Amplified. Verse 19. Uh, Or one who has a a broken foot. It says a fractured foot. You can't walk in the spirit correctly, see. Or a broken hand. You can't handle the things of God the right way. And there there are people who can't. There There are people that you see even in some churches that are leaders that can't handle the things of God correctly. Well, this is disqualifying them from being priests. Um, Verse 20, or a hunchback. See, you know, you're looking down here. You can't see Jesus looking down here. You have to be looking at him. You can't see the direction to go in spirit if you're all hunched over and looking down at the ground. Another disqualification. Or a person that has a defect in his eye. See, he's not going to see things right. 
or a scurvy, an itch, a scab that's talking about uh, skin problems. And remember, the skin is the outer, so to speak, it's your outer hide. And I compare that to either being soft or hard. See, we can be soft-hearted or hard-hearted. So if, if there's a problem with your skin, if you have a tough hide, that's going to disqualify you from being a priest. Or skin problems, or one who has damaged testicles. See, there, there's no reproduction in spirit. So all those things disqualified the Levites from becoming priests, and those things disqualify a person who should be offering up spiritual sacrifices unto God, that disqualifies them in spirit because they are now uh, not walking after the spirit or according to the spirit in the way God desires because you know, they can't see, they're blind, or whatever it may be. And that just, just disqualifies them now I'm not saying the person's not saved. I'm saying it disqualifies them from offering up to spiritual sacrifices like it says in uh, 1 Peter 2.5 that we looked at. So you have these things moving here that here is one aspect of the Levitical priesthood and it cannot bring a completeness or perfection. But yet you have this man who was a Jebusite he was able to move after the Spirit. He was able to somehow, God, you know, he received this of, of God by the Spirit so that he was able to walk in a way, not after the Jebusites, but walking after the way of God because he had an upright heart, king of righteousness. And he walks in this way, and the Bible calls him King of Righteousness, Melchizedek. Not after the law, not after the carnal commandment, but after the Spirit of God in his life. Not performing that which was uh, a natural thing. Remember, he comes out, and he greets Abraham. Let's turn there to... Genesis 14. Genesis 14, verse 18. We looked at this briefly last week, and I'm just going to comment here. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, king of Jerusalem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Well, well what's that mean, he came out? Okay, he brought out literally bread and literally wine. That's true. But what's bread and wine in the scriptures? Communion. See, first this man, this priest of the Most High God, he had communion with God. See, that's how he became this priest. And now he comes out to meet Abraham. Remember, Abraham is just starting off. He's left Ur of the Chaldees, and he's, he's moving in this land. And Melchizedek comes out now and greets him after he, he uh, kills these, this army, these, these kings. And now, because he's had communion with God, he, he can now have communion 
with Abraham. And I believe that that influence there of Melchizedek so influenced Abraham, so encouraged him to walk even more so with God. Now, he was walking with God before this, but this, this is encouragement. Now, he's kind of like setting himself toward the Lord, and right away you see something in, in chapter 15. After these things, after what things? Well, there's other things here that he says. But after that, after this encounter with the priest of the Most High God, the person who's moving after the Spirit, not after this other lower priesthood, after those things, this meeting, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And he then gives him the promise because of the heart of Abraham. He promises him a son, and it says that Abraham, I love this, he believed God. And it was imputed or accounted to him for righteousness. Uh, it's, it says that somewhere, where is it here, somewhere in this chapter? Verse 6, and he believed in the Lord, and he counted it, meaning the Lord, to him for righteousness, so that he just has this encounter with the king of righteousness. And right after that, you see something in his life. God says, I'm going to count this now that you believe me as righteousness in your life. So there, I believe the two here are linked. We see this in the New Testament where it talks about uh, Abraham and righteousness. But we don't kind of put it together here with Melchizedek, but I, I believe that, that that's the flow. He's called the king of righteousness. And that, that influence, if you will, had quite an impact on the life of Abraham to encourage him and, and move him in a way. Remember, he comes from a, uh, a background of idolatry. His father was an idolater. And so now this is an encouragement to him, and he's able to, to push in, in this direction. So the bread and wine here, it typifies communion. Now back in Hebrews 7, verse 15, and it is, it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude, after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment. It's not after the Levitical order, that natural thing that God instituted in the beginning there. But after the power of an endless life. He's not subject to destruction. This is talking about uh, Jesus Christ uh, and him being in this priesthood that is indissolvable. Okay, now, turn to 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 17. Now, unto the king eternal, immortal, that's what the, the word I want you to see, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. Immortal here means incorruptible. Now, let me ask you a question. Did Jesus have an incorruptible life? Immortal, incorruptible. Yes. When? Now, the normal reaction would be, 
after the resurrection. But I want to tell you something. If you look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels, you will see that he had an incorruptible life long before the resurrection. Satan tempts him, but he's incorruptible because he's after the order of Melchizedek who has this endless life. You understand what I'm saying? Incorruptible. He's after the similitude of that. So that Jesus, his priesthood cannot be dissolved. The Levitical priesthood, that was dissolved. Each priest, after they died, for as far as them, their life was dissolved. But his priesthood lives on. Uh, in Luke, it says this. Jesus said of the temple, there shall not be one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now that's talking about Herod's temple that would be dissolved. But Christ, him, his, his, the temple that he was building, not his body, the temple that he was building is not going to be dissolved. So the life of Christ, there, there is there this fullness of life. I was thinking about this. All the, the different men of God that have influenced my life personally. And each of them has, or maybe past tense, the ones that passed away, had, they still have, some degree of the life of God in them. So, so this person has the life of God to some degree. This person has the life of God to some degree. And this person has the life of God to some degree. But yet, all of them together do not equal the life that Jesus Christ has. We have not even begun to tap the life that is in Jesus Christ. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So, so how much is the abundance? It's more than we know. We all are going to walk in this life. 30, 40, 50, 60, 80, some of us. How much of the life of God will we attain? Well, if we walk in the Spirit, we are going to attain more than we really thought. But yet, we're not going to break the bank, so to speak. You know, when we see Jesus someday, <laughs> that's what's going to be so beautiful. We're going to see him unveiled. And, and we cannot see him unveiled today. We, we physically couldn't do it. But because we'll have, you know, a glorified body, we'll be able to, to take that. We'll be able to see that. And we will see something we, we never dreamt. I have not seen, neither ear heard, neither entered the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love him. You know, we, we, we don't know. It's far beyond what we think. 
So it says that Jesus was the truth and the life. And the life. The quality of the life that was found in Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek. Really. Not all of it, but the quality. Melchizedek had some of that quality. So, so the interesting thing, going back to Leviticus 21, as I said before, there were certain things that disqualified uh, the, the men from becoming priests. Those were physical things. None of them dealt with character. I find that very interesting. None of them. It was all physical thing. But in this priesthood, after the order of Melchizedek, now you see things dealing with character, not after the physical and the natural thing. See, this is something different, something more. It's a better priesthood, that's why. Because it's moving up in a higher place, a different plane. So as I said to you last week, what order of priesthood are you as a Christian after? You know, are we after the order of Aaron? Or are we after the order of Melchizedek? And you say, yeah, I'm after the order of Melchizedek. Well, maybe you are. I hope you are. Well, that means if you're after the order of Melchizedek, that you are after the Spirit. You're walking after the Spirit, what, what He's teaching, what He's showing you in your life. You know, the direction that, that He's uh, uh, laid out for you in your life personally. In closing, let's just read a couple of scriptures. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Consider him. Chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Pointing to that priesthood, Jesus Christ. The priesthood that is after the Spirit. And the last scripture, chapter 6, verse 20. Whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus was made a high priest after the order of Melchizedek because... He was after the Spirit, moving, walking his entire life after the Spirit. And he has an unchangeable priesthood after the similitude of Melchizedek. This priesthood stands forever, and there are those that also today will enter into that same priesthood, those that move after the Spirit. Lord, I pray today that you would work in our lives. Help us, Lord, to learn from you. Open up the eyes of our understanding, Lord, that, that we would be able to understand and perceive. But more than that, Lord, that we would be able to understand and do. That which the Holy Spirit shows us personally, Lord, needs to be done 
the direction that he shows us that we need to move and walk for our own personal lives. We thank you, Lord, for the day of opportunity today. We thank you for your love that you have opened the doors and allowed us today, Lord, to seek your face and to learn of you and be brought into a greater knowing so that we would be able to be directed by your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would bring us into a, a tremendous life in the Spirit, Lord, where, where we see you and walk after you and not after this world, I pray. In Jesus' name.